Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, I'm Sif Heider, the founder of Array. I'm a wellness entrepreneur and digital creator, and this is my show, The Dream Bigger Podcast. Listen, I love dreaming big, but you know what I love more? Actually having the resources to make those big dreams happen. And hey, Dreams can sometimes be private jets, but other times they can look a little something like having the best skin of your damn life or starting a successful business or delving into spirituality. So on this podcast, I chat with experts and thought leaders from different fields about their tips and tricks on doing exactly that. So let's get right into it. Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. I am so thrilled about today's show because it feels very full circle and I love calling stuff like this out when it does happen just because I think that the universe works in a really funny way and I just want you guys to be cognizant of it as well because I'm sure that you've had these moments in your life happen as well. So today's guest is Jacqueline Johnson who is of course the founder of Create and Cultivate. If you're not familiar with Create and Cultivate, it is essentially... I don't even know how to describe it, but it provides content, community, events, and essentially just resources to help women stay on top of their lives and their careers. And it's built an incredible community. So you kind of have like other women to lean on every year. They have like multiple events, which they moved online during the pandemic. And now it's back in person. I know they're having a conference at South by Southwest and it's just, it's an incredible community. I remember in 2017, so many creatives that I knew were going to their, the Create and Cultivate conference in LA. And I was sitting in Toronto being like, one day I'm going to go to that conference. And little did I know that a few short years later, I'd be on the Create and Cultivate 100 list, which basically honors 100 women, 10 in 10 different categories who are kind of trailblazing in those specific categories. And I was in the health and wellness category, which was just such an honor. And I went to their party this last week and it was so incredible. And just seeing Jacqueline you know, in her element, having thrown this incredible event was really, really inspiring. So I don't know, I just felt it was really full circle. And um, if you haven't yet checked out Create and Cultivate, I highly recommend you do. They are a very robust resource that we should all be looking at when it comes to career and community and all of that. 
So before we dive into today's episode, let's do this week's review, which comes to us from at Bookswound. Love that. You sound like a reader, which is my kind of person. And it says, love this podcast in a sea of wellness podcast. This one stands out for the host's authentic voice. I love, love the solo episodes, especially the journaling episode from 2-22-22. I've listened to it at least twice. This is such a sweet review. And you you guys know that I didn't do solo episodes for a really, really long time. My first one was actually end of last year, but it seems that you guys are really enjoying it. So it's just nice to hear that feedback. If you do have two seconds, please, please scroll down to the bottom of the Apple podcast app and hit rate the show and then send me a review. Tell me what you're loving, which episode you liked, who was your favorite guest. I love hearing from you and it just helps the show grow. It helps me continue to bring you guests who provide a ton of value and helps me shape my solo episodes. And it would just mean the world. Um, Also, if you don't know, I am also hosting a giveaway well, like everyone gets it basically. So if you want to win my journaling worksheet, which is essentially four different prompts that I created, which are incredible for manifesting and just showing up as your best self every single day, leave me a review and send me a screenshot of the review to my email, sifa.h91 at gmail.com. It's going to be in the show notes and I will send you the worksheet for free. If you have two seconds, please, please leave me a review. Okay, this week's hot tip is the Skinny Confidential Ice Roller. Now, I have to say that the hype is very, very real with this product. So I was late to the game and got it, I want to say like about a month back. And it is an incredible product. I don't know what I was doing in life without it. It kills all puffiness. It is such a sturdy, like beautiful product. It's always in my freezer. And anytime I go out at night, I come back in the morning and, or not come back in the morning, but the next morning, (laughs) the next morning I grab it from my freezer and ice roll my face. This week specifically, it has been my very best friend in the whole wide world because I've been out almost every night this week and I have been so puffy waking up. Like I woke up after this like thing that I went to on Thursday and literally looked like I had three chins. I used that ice roller and I was like sculpted. So I highly recommend it. I like to pair it with an oil. I've currently been loving the uh, Golden Secrets face oil. I don't I don't remember if it has like a specific name, but it it's like the Golden Secrets face oil. It's really, really good. And I think you guys will love both the ice roller and that oil combo. It will save your face. Anyway, with that, let's dive into today's show with Jacqueline Johnson. Okay, so Jacqueline, the first question I always ask my guests is, what was your big dream when you were growing up? Oh, so my big dream was like very cliche. I wanted to be a magazine editor. And I think that was because that was like the only role in movies and television that women had. It was like Same. fashion editor. <laughs> yeah. So I think that was like my dream up until I actually got into magazine production. I actually studied magazine production at NYU and interned at Condé. So I did all the things. And then I was really bummed out to find out that editors don't typically go out into the market and find cool trends. It's all driven by advertisement. And I was like, oh, cool. Okay. So that's how that works. And then obviously I ended up going into some form of advertisement after, but yeah, it was 
interesting all my life like for for like a very long time actually like I would say like as soon as like college like before even in high school I was like I really love to write so maybe I'll go into magazines but yeah like I remember it was like really just the only representation and really like it was like the power move career totally. you know yeah. so like devil wears yeah. Prada and all of that it was so exciting <laughs> yeah totally it was the only career we actually knew it was like doctor's lawyers magazine editor it's true <laughs> seriously yeah. and if you wanted to do something creative it was really only magazine editor like there was no other path. It's so true. It's so true. So you had an agency before Create and Cultivate. Tell me about that time in your life and also talk to me about the career pivot that you had, because how does someone recognize that it's even time to like go through a career pivot, you know? Yeah. So it's actually kind of a funny story. So and this is gonna make me sound extremely old. But social media was just kind of starting. So social media, marketing agencies, things like that did not exist. There was like word of mouth marketing, guerrilla marketing, like that was sort of what encompassed all things kind of not traditional marketing. And I ended up not taking an editor job and took a job at a startup called Attention PR at the time. And it was really a small agency. I think I was like employee number three at the time. But they were really pioneering what was going to soon be social media marketing in the early days for really well-known brands, Blue Fly, Estee Lauder, et cetera. And so I got kind of lucky because I kind of jumped into that side of the business. I also launched my first blog, which was called Some Notes on Napkins, which is like so embarrassing now, but whatever. <laughs> is it still out there in the Oh, future? yeah, it is. You could definitely <laughs> look it up. It's like the last post was literally 10 years ago. But it was it was really early. You know, it was early to market when it came to blogging and being an influencer and all these different things. So I was definitely first working on that. My blog got extremely popular. And again, there was like seven of us on the internet, so it's not even a brag. It was just like by default. And, I, you know, that world started opening up and I was really in it at the very beginning. And so... I um, was working in various marketing positions and the Great Recession of 2008-2009 hit and I was laid off, but I was asked to transition to a new role within the company at a different company that was under the umbrella company. And that job was in Los Angeles. I lived in New York. And so I was like, whoa, big life change. But it was a great opportunity. It was a great salary. And I was kind of ready for a change. So I moved up all my stuff from New York to Los Angeles only to get like let go two months later. And I was like, cool, cool, cool. Now I live in a city where I know no one and the major industry is entertainment and gaming. And this is especially true in 2010, I think it was. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of how I stumbled into my first business was I reached out to people as you do when you get laid off and say, hi, hello, hire me. Couldn't find a you know full-time job, but got a ton of freelance gigs in the social media marketing sort of influencers, again, nascent stages. And then one thing led to another, led to another, led to another. And I started my first company, which was an agency, which at the time here in Los Angeles didn't have much competition, to be honest. There wasn't a lot of people servicing the startup fashion and beauty industry in influencer social media marketing capacity. Hey, I'm Allie Colbert. I'm a stand-up comedian, actress, and writer from New York City. And I'm Jackie Colbert. I have made my career as a comedian by using my insights and wit to make points. Funny points, but points. Look, I have good taste and too much common sense for just myself, so I'm going to share it with you guys. Okay, Allie, get over yourself. <laughs> and my younger sister and best friend Jackie is here to bring me back down to earth. Every Tuesday, Jackie and I are going to hang out with each other and some of our favorite people. And of course, respond to your questions and confessions. So send in your secrets. It's like church, but I'm Jewish and bisexual. Tune in every Tuesday for a new episode. Subscribe, rate, review. You know the drill.
you were managing social media accounts and basically like gifting product, whatever, like making all those decisions that today a social media manager does essentially. Exactly. So I managed communities. I did influencer campaigns. I did gifting. I launched like I was like launch and by like managing, I mean like we were actually launching Facebook pages for brands because it was like just starting yeah, out. So new. Yeah. Um, and then it eventually kind of pivoted into events, influencer events, and influencer marketing because that kind of parallel path the rise of the influencer with my yeah. business. And I was in a really fortunate position because I was a blogger and I knew all the bloggers and I knew all you know at the time influencers. And so I was able to really tap into my network to create really fun and cool campaigns for brands. And then. What led to the pivot into Create and Cultivate then? Yeah, so uh, No Subject was around for about seven years. It was really interesting because I started something called Create and Cultivate while at No Subject. I really treated the agency like its own brand and, and its own identity and really wanted to create community around that. And so Create and Cultivate was born one weekend at the Ace Hotel in Palm Springs, bringing together different entrepreneurs, freelancers, creatives in the space. I think there was like 30 of us. And we just did you know a weekend of workshops and panels and dinners and conversations. And I thought it was a one-time thing, honestly, kind of a brand building exercise for the agency. And it just kind of took on a life of its own after everyone's like, when's the next one? I want to go to that. This is like the beginning stages of Instagram. What year is this? I mean, oh my God, 2012. Wow. A long time ago. Yeah, a long time ago. So these are the early days of CNC that a lot of people don't know about. And I did that kind of, I launched it like once a year, getting a little bigger, a little bigger, a little bigger for many years while I was running the agency. And then basically I was approached by my future business partner uh, on Create and Cultivate who was like, what is this thing you're doing? And I was like, oh, it's basically like a new biz generator for the agency. And, you know, it's a great way to have community. I get to like meet even more influencers that helps me with my business. So it was really more of like a brand marketing strategy for the agency. And she was like, no, 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 this is something I think there's a lot that we can do together here. And I was like, no, I don't think so. Like it actually doesn't make any money. And I really feel like it's, it, you know, I don't think so, basically. At the same time, I was having conversations about having the agency acquired by a strategic partner. So this is all kind of happening. Long story short, those conversations went cold um, about the acquisition. I got more and more excited about this idea of create and cultivate, and there was more momentum. So I brought on my business partner. We did a uh, sort of a test case to see if there was something there. We threw our largest at that time conference, which I think was 2016. So this is when people start knowing about create and cultivate in the more official capacity. But we launched our first event in Los Angeles. Uh, it was 300 people. We had like Julianne Huff, Emily from Glossier uh, speaking. I mean, it was a total disaster from a production standpoint because I did not know how to throw an event that big at that time. But it did show that there was a lot of hunger from both the brand side and the consumer side. And after that, the rest is history. You know, I started building that brand. I ended up selling uh, the agency. I actually ran both for one year, which was a nightmare running Create and Cultivate. And yeah, um, that's like two full time jobs. That's just bananas. It was two full time jobs and uh, it was 150 plus hour weeks. I mean, I was just oh dying, but it was, you know, it was good. It was the right thing to do for the agency. Um, you know, they were in good hands with the acquirer. And then it was still kind of nascent baby stages of Create and Cultivate kind of becoming its own thing. Mm -hmm. I think it's like a story of like, 
you know, now you see it where it's like people have their full-time job and then they work on their side hustle until their side hustle becomes like a full grown thing. Mm. And then it kind of takes over, you know? Yeah. I always say go where the momentum is. And I think that's really important. You know, I think for me, I felt the momentum from Create and Cultivate happening. Again, more and more brands were interested in participating. Consumers were interested. Influencers wanted to speak. It was like taking on a life of its own that I had to dive into it. And it was a risk because I was not a professional conference planner. Like I didn't have that experience per se, but I knew that there was something there and that I had to explore. So I have to ask you here, like, I mean, what you created with Create and Cultivate was like, I mean, it still is like today, like it is, not was, but it is absolutely incredible. And like, I was telling you a little bit before we got started that like, you know, back in like, I think it was like 27, 2018, so many of my friends were going, they were raving about it. The speakers were bananas. Like you had like Ami Song, Kim Kardashian. Like I, I just remember like seeing snippets of it on social media. So how did you even get there? You know, because obviously, you know, we see this really successful entrepreneur and it's like, it's very easy to say, oh my God, like, you know, she's really made it. But how did you even get those people to agree to it? How did you build the buzz? Like kind of take me through that time. Yeah. I mean, it was definitely a slow burn. It wasn't like overnight. We just started getting amazing speakers. You know, I reached out to a lot of people through cold, cold emails. And then basically what kind of happened was we started to get a good reputation. We started with like large scale influencers and entrepreneurs and things like that. Like Emily Weiss spoke, I think when Glossy had launched maybe a year earlier. Right. So we had Emily, we had connections with Julian Huff. Like we wanted to, we kind of built this company based off my personal relationships at first. And then essentially what started to happen was we realized the value of our audience and that we could really kind of create a true value prop for the person who was coming to speak. So the way we approached it was, you know, through providing a really comprehensive package to talent. And again, starting small. And like, I think some of our first speakers that I was really excited about was like Grand Story and things like that. But I remember so specifically, Honest Beauty reached out and was like, we want to do like a pop-up on site or like have our makeup there, you know, whatever, perfect demographic, good, good reach. And Honest Beauty was launching. So Honest, the company had existed um, in the baby sector, but they were launching beauty and it was like a perfect collaboration. So chatting with them, going through all this, you know, sponsorship details. And then they were like, what if Jessica wanted to speak? Would that be okay? And would that be okay? Yes, that would be, that would be actually totally fine. Um, Full panic, like so excited. And then basically Jessica was like, oh my God, you know who else should speak is my friend, Rachel, Rachel Zoe. So I was like, uh, amazing. So, and I had worked with Rachel Zoe previously at my old company, just like through some deals that we had done. And so she kind of knew who I was. Jessica obviously is an amazing person to say, you should do this. And then like one thing led to the other and it was like, oh, and Jen Meyer wants to interview Rachel. And then, you know, why don't we have Catherine Power interview Jessica Alba? And it all just sort of happened so crazy. And obviously having those names was incredible leverage to then start going out to people. And I was lucky that one of my partners in the business was really good friends with Chelsea Handler. And so Chelsea, of course, is like, well, Jessica Alba's doing it. I'll do it. And that's how this kind of works in general, right? Is like you just need like five 
or not even five, two people to co-sign on your uh, business or your idea, right? And that's really what happened. And then after that, we were lucky that we had this established speaker base, but also we delivered, right? Like they didn't come and were like, this is a crappy weird experience. Like I didn't, I showed up and my thing didn't look good or like the audience was weird. No, they showed up and it was like high energy, beautiful, amazing experience that we like promised them, you know, really gave them that full package that they also wanted because they're giving up their time, you know, in exchange for this. So obviously there's a, a trade there. And then afterwards they get to tell all of their friends, right? So another good example of that is we had Catherine Power and Hillary Curse speak at our Dallas event. They were keynotes and they're like, oh, we want Sophia Rossi, who at the time was the co-founder of Hello Giggles to interview us. Great. Cool. That sounds great. Sophia had an amazing time, came back to me and was like, you know, my friend Nicole Richie should do this. And like genuinely, that's how it happened. And then obviously parallel path to all this momentum was the women entrepreneurship movement and obviously more and more high caliber talent getting into the entrepreneurship game, which obviously makes our lives a lot easier. Also, I think that a really good takeaway here is the power of like having like your own community. So like what you, the, the example that you gave about Emily Weiss, right? Like back when she spoke, I mean, Glossier was like, I mean, way smaller than baby, it is baby, today, yeah. right? It's like a baby company, but it's actually like, it brings up an example that I can think of. So when I was in Condé Nast College, I remember we'd have these like insane photographers and models and editors come and speak to us and they'd be like, oh, like my friend Patrick de Marchelier, you know, or like my friend Naomi Campbell. And it's because they grew up together. Like back yeah. then when they started collaborating and like, you know, forging their friendships and communities, it wasn't that like Naomi Campbell is like who she is today. And so I think that it's so important for like entrepreneurs who are up and coming, you know, whether they do an events-based business or not, it's just really important to have people who you're growing alongside of, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, Jen Rubio is a good example of that. Like she spoke early on when she was just starting away, Ty Haney with Outdoor Voices. And again, they're companies were maybe a year old at mm -hmm. that time. And these are all people that we all sort of, you know, were working hard at the same time, hustling, trying to find relationships, things like that. And I always say networking horizontally is more important than so important. networking vertically. And I think it, that's just a testament to that exact um, concept. Yeah, this is actually like what you just said, like you like put it really eloquently into words. It's, it's incredibly important. And also because like, you know, when you have peers that you can go through like, this whole journey with, it just makes it a lot less like lonely. And you have people to lean on who have either gone through the same things like pretty, you know, recently, or they, they can just be there, you know, and it's, it's different when, when it's, what is a vertical? Mm. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, definitely. Cause it's, you're trying to claw at someone's attention. They're not going through the same thing you're going through at that moment. So it's a little bit more challenging. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Couldn't agree more. So I want to talk about tips that you may have for someone who's looking to bring on a business partner, because that can be a challenging scenario. And so do you have any like words of advice? Oh yeah, totally. So my business partner in Create and Cultivate was kind of silent. Like she wasn't super involved in the day to day. She was more strategic in that way. And I think that worked really well for us. And I think that's important to know is like, there's a million different types of business partnerships. I think everyone just gravitates towards, oh, it's a 50-50 partnership. You guys are co-founders, whatever it might be. That is not necessarily the case. I think you need to figure out what works best for you. Is this something where you bring on a really dedicated, passionate, 
COO and give them a percentage of the company. And obviously you own the majority of that that business. Is it a situation where you feel like it's equal footing and it's 50-50? I think being extremely upfront about what your business actually needs is really important. And it doesn't always translate into equal equity. That being said, I think when you're bringing on a business partner, it's really important to kind of look at your skill sets. I think it's what I look for, you know, when I'm investing in things and or like I would recommend to anyone is like, do we have complementary skill sets that aren't too similar? Because that can really lead to problems down the road. And it also creates a more dynamic company. So I think it's really important to think about that, think about the equity structure, and then have really, really, really difficult conversations up front. Make sure you have an airtight operating agreement that really outlines what each of your roles is and update that regularly because it will change over time. And that will hold you accountable in terms of who you are, what you're doing, and how much money is at stake. Because I think having those conversations where you're aligned and on the same page is so important because someone could be starting a company because they just want to build and own something. And someone could be starting a company because they want to build and sell something. Mm. And if you're not on the same page, that will down the line be a very problematic situation. It's so true. And that last bit is not something that people I don't think are maybe aware of before they go into a company or they just look at something from the outside. But that is actually like a really, really important conversation and one that I think all parties involved need to be aligned on because it can definitely create problems. And like, it's okay to have different goals. You just can't get into bed with one another if you're not aligned there. Yeah. And it might change over time. It doesn't Mm -hmm. mean like day one, you're like, here's my vision for the company. and Here's what needs to happen. I think over time you can keep having those conversations. And if it's not working for someone, figuring out an exit plan for that person that is that does right by the company, does right by that person and doesn't create a really intense, toxic environment, which we've seen sort of play out. Yeah. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. So let's talk about 2020, because obviously that was a very different year, to say the least. So what was the impact on Create and Cultivate in 2020? Yeah, I mean, it was a true nightmare. Uh, (laughs) But basically, you know, we had come off our strongest Q1 ever, had an incredible lineup of events planned for the rest of the year. And I just remember sitting in my office when South by Southwest announced that they, well, they didn't announce, the government of Austin announced that they were shutting it down. And everyone in our office, you know, which at the time I think was like 25 plus employees, like all looking at each other and looking at me, like, what do we do? And I just got into, as I think many entrepreneurs did, like pure adrenaline mode where you're like, okay, here's what we're going to do. We have to, we had to unpack an event where we had 30 plus sponsors. We were flying out 40 plus people to Austin for this event within two days like the event was in two days so stop yeah so two days Austin had so basically South by came out the week before and said we're not shutting down the official festival then four days later the government of Austin's like we'll be making an announcement and I just we all kind of knew I think what was about to happen because we're like why would they be coming out with an announcement but we were all kind of holding out hope that it was going to be okay because this was like early early days like no everyone was like it's the flu who cares and then they came out and said that they'd be shutting it down and that South by had nothing to do with it so it was essentially a, a force majeure which now if you're looking at contracts are very very important so we had to unpack a ton a ton of events, vendors, you know, it was not a fun time. Beyond that, we also had events planned for Coachella. We had a big event in Dallas planned at the end of the year. So we started to unpack those as well. Parallel path to this, you know, was me in 
entrepreneur mode thinking, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? And if everyone like if you could just go back to that time period in April 2020 when everyone was going live and didn't know what to do and all these things, I was like, we need to do something digital and we need to do it fast because Mm -hmm. we need to keep staying relevant and keep our audience alive. And we also were very, very, very fortunate that a lot of our sponsors said didn't completely pulled their dollars. They said, what else can you do with these dollars? So we were super, super lucky in that sense. And so, you know, specifically shout out to MasterCard, who'd been our partner for three years, really supported us through the entire year by pivoting to digital and doing some digital activations. Long story short, we launched Money Moves in May. 2020 was our first digital summit. We had over 10,000 people attend from Oof. 50 different countries. It was totally insane. It was our, we were, you know, on Zoom, doing Zoom, connecting Zoom, like, you know, again, the early, early days of the pandemic. And it was hugely successful. And Adweek picked it up, Forbes picked it up as like best in class in terms of digital events, which catapulted us into having an actually stellar year despite literally everything working against us. So we ended up rolling out over eight different digital conferences. We launched our digital membership. We hosted a ton of digital campaigns with influencers. We did a pandemic-friendly pop-up at Platform in Culver City where you could purchase via Postmates our vegan leather goods line as well as five uh, different lines from women of color. We made the best of a bad situation. We went full in as we could. You know, at the time, we were completely self-funded. the be all say all like the buck stopped with me in so many words. And so I felt so many larger scale companies who had boards and all these things like they couldn't move fast enough because they had to answer to so many people. Whereas we were like, just go and do. And so we were able to maintain eight figure profitability. We did dip in revenue, but it was still like a banner year for us. So we were really, really fortunate. Oh my God. Oh my God. Okay. So that's like, you know, it's interesting because 2020 was really either a year where businesses thrived or like they really suffered. Mm. And it's really interesting because, you know, with us, we were born during the pandemic or right? was like literally like March, 2020. Let's go. So, so many great brands <laughs> launched during the pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's interesting to watch an events based business do that pivot because for us, we were just product, you know, we yeah. really just had to figure out the operational back end because, you know, obviously we had issues where like, no one knew what was happening to the postal service. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Are we still getting mail? Yeah. So yeah. like there were those issues. But, you know, at the end of the day, it was a product based business. So yeah. like the pivot was like a like a lot less like intense, I yeah. guess. But for you guys to turn around something that I guess like, you know, it was really the heart and soul of it was people gathering in a totally. place to take it digitally is insane. And to like figure it out early. Yeah. I mean, I think it's also... One, we were extremely well, we we are an extremely well-run business. We had cash. We had a, a, at least a, a year runway that would have gotten us through it. But like, we never let us get that down. We never operated out of fear. We always operated out of abundance. That being said, I did cry a lot. I did have a lot of panic attacks. Like it wasn't like all like perfect, you know, scores uh, across the board. It was definitely really challenging. And any entrepreneur who made it through 2020, I mean, kudos to you because it was such a trying time because all we're taught and all we want to do is plan, 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 be ahead of the problem. And literally no one had any idea what was going on. So it was a major challenge, but I'm happy to report that we came out unscathed incredible. So what did 2020 teach you about yourself as an entrepreneur? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think obviously 
on like a personal level, like resiliency is is key. And I think it taught me a lot as a leader to have that many people looking at you in a room like, what do we do next? It was like a lot of pressure. And it really, I think, helped me elevate as, as a leader within the business. On a professional level, I think it taught myself and a lot of entrepreneurs to really diversify your revenue. I think we were really fortunate that a couple years prior, we had launched our podcast, our product lines, and our digital offerings, as well as our membership, which again, were a small portion of our revenue, but spiked during 2020 because we had those things in place. So I think being able to have diversified revenue will give you a less risky business overall. So smart. So I want to talk about profitability here for a second, because I mean, you know, there's two different ways that a business can go, you know, either you raise or like in, you know, you, you kind of bleed money for a little bit for growth or you go the profitability route, which you actually did and you've, you did it or you've done it extremely successfully. So what are your tips there? If someone, you know, just wants to go the profitability route, like, do you have any like tangible pieces of advice you can give to entrepreneurs? Yeah. I mean, I think it's really interesting because at the end of the day, what makes a business successful is making money, right? And it's not necessarily just revenue. Like you can be doing a hundred million in revenue and be spending 200 million in revenue in marketing. It doesn't mean that you have a legitimate business. It means you have a really great marketing team. I think the reality is, is for me, I always in both my businesses wanted to build businesses that made money and that I could reinvest that money to grow, to retain ownership in my business. That's not always the right move for for every type of business. For instance, Crate and Cultivate didn't have any inventory, right? Like we're a service-based business. Everything we do is based on human capital, essentially. So it doesn't require a lot of upfront cash in the way that a product-based business would. So it doesn't, the way I did it isn't always the right way. But, you know, I think for us, we were really smart in the way that we built, we scaled and we grew. I mean, there's definitely times where I felt like our team could have been doubled and we still would have been busy. But it was, you know, one of those things of keeping up with the capital that we were we were doing. So, you know, as I mentioned, we had multi-million dollar profitability year over year because we were run extremely efficiently and we had no outside capital, um, but we invested everything back into the business. And that's one way to do it. And then obviously, if you want to sell that company longer term, a lot of the times your valuation is not necessarily based off revenue. It's based off profitability. So for an events and service-based business, it's typically a, uh, a 10x or an X of your EBITDA versus your revenue. And that's it, obviously it's all very subjective, but that was something that I had learned from my first acquisition that I knew I wanted to have a high amount of profitability to then sell the company at a higher multiple. So smart. And talk to me about community, because I think that a big part of like, you know, saving cost, I mean, people, I think that the biggest thing is the biggest expense really can be marketing. And for you to have grown it profitably, what was the marketing situation even like? Yeah, we didn't do any paid marketing really ever. We kind of just started, I would say, in the last year. We were really lucky because I think we were also in the heyday of Instagram mm, yeah. where when someone posted about you, you actually got followers. I feel like that doesn't really happen anymore. No, it's really very doesn't. strange. But basically, we were uh, able to grow really successfully based off one, celebrities and talent posting about us and then their followers being like, what is this thing? And then also attendees posting about us and their friends being like, what is this thing? And what we really kind of 
personally, I think created was the launch of like Instagrammable moments and like FOMO at events. And I think that was really intentional is like we wanted to create events that not only were educational, but beautiful, fun, transformational that you could go and you can get your nails done and also learn about raising $9 million for your business if you wanted to. Because I think that's how women are. We're multifaceted. And I think that's okay to lean into that. It doesn't necessarily have to be a stodgy business conference and it doesn't have to be all glitz and glam. It could be somewhere down the middle. And we really nailed that sentence. I think early on. And so not only were the pictures that people were posting gorgeous, like, where are you? And what is this flower moment? But also like, oh, wow, that person was there speaking. Oh, wow. You're learning about growing your business. Like, this is something I want to be a part of. And we really rarely ever monetized our community. We built based on value and we wanted to provide as much value for free for as long as possible. The only thing that we had ever charged was for tickets at our conferences. And that was really because of like how big and how massive they were. We did typically two conferences a year, but we would do upwards of 50 free events on top of that all over the country that weren't necessarily large scale conferences, but small pop-ups where we could get access to talent. And so I think we were really smart about providing a ton of value upfront to our audience without having to monetize them. And this was pre like buy my course, buy my thing. You know, this wasn't that type of environment. And we were able to build an organic community that also advocated for us and promoted us online for free. I mean, like what you guys did with community was absolutely insane. And the thing is that, you know, a lot of the times someone can invest in like a large ticket item and then maybe they're like it just wasn't built out to be what I thought it was going to be whereas I distinctly remember people who went to create and cultivate and like I'm talking my friends I mean not like you know industry people necessarily just like people like photographers or just like smaller scale entrepreneurs would go to these events and they'd come back and they were like I learned so much you really provided that value yeah I mean I'm in the business of over delivering and I think that's really important is to think about like the way I always like to put it I was like even if you had the worst day ever at a create and cultivate conference the gift bag will make you happy our gift bags were like upwards of $500 worth of products so even if you're like, I hated it, whatever, like you'd go home and you'd be like, okay, but this is like some good swag. And like, that's the way I sort of thought about it. Not like I wanted anyone to have a bad experience, but from the moment you arrive to the type of food you get served, to the type of networking opportunities you have, to the photo moments, to the access to the celebrities, like all of that was so important. Like we thought of every single detail and we were lucky that, you know, we didn't think, we didn't splurge and spend every dollar on just getting a cool person there we spent on the attendees like in today's climate which is quite different from when you guys started what advice could you give to entrepreneurs who are looking to build community without spending like a ton of marketing dollars yeah I mean I think uh go niche I think like at today it's really challenging to do what we did which was a little bit wider ranging it was mm. you know we like to say we're for ambitious women meaning you might have a side hustle you might be a CEO you might be at a corporate job we kind of hit all those different verticals now I think it's really about getting specific on the type of community that you're wanting to build you know and I think we're seeing more and more of these things crop up where it's like this is a community for venture capitalists this is a community for people with problems product. This is a community for people with X, Y, and Z and like being more specific, I think will get you a higher rate of and and dedication from your audience. Mm -hmm. So you have now just launched your venture fund. Yes. Tell me about it. 
Yeah. So uh, we just launched a venture fund. It's called New Money Ventures. I basically, Create and Cultivate was uh, majority acquired March 2021 by a private equity firm, which gives us more growth capital, more um, opportunity to grow and build this company to the next level, which is really exciting. I maintain a large portion of equity at CNC and obviously I'm still the vice chair and we're bringing on a new CEO, which is really exciting. So lots happening there. But in terms of my journey and like what I wanted to do next, it was kind of an obvious transition. I have been angel investing in female founded and female owned businesses for 10 years and really found myself giving a ton of advice and being a real mentor and advisor to a lot of these women and brands like Live Tinted, Ceremonia, Crown Affair, etc. And I love it. I love doing that because I've, I've been through so much of what a lot of people are going through and I know how to sort of navigate the really challenging waters that are entrepreneurship. And so getting into the investing game was really important to me because of two different things. One, the being the founder of Create and Cultivate, the stat that was always thrown around that we've all heard a thousand times is that 2% um, of venture capital goes to female founded companies, which is staggering and insulting and insane, right? But when I started to look into the venture capital landscape, what was even more shocking was that only 10% of the workforce for venture capitals and private equity is made up of women and less than 5% of women are at the helm of VCs. So in the money making or the money giving part are women. It's a boys club. It's a boys club. It's 100% a boys club. And it's pretty insane because it's having been in this world now for a little bit, I'm like, oh, wow. Like there is such a gigantic gap. And the reality is, is money goes where money flows, right? The biggest part of being a venture capitalist is deal flow. Who you're talking to, who knows you, who knows that person, this person, oh, meet this person, there's a new business launching. And deal flow comes from your network or your indirect network. And just by nature of who I am and what I've built at Crane Cultivate, obviously I get a ton of deal flow around female founded companies. What I'm realizing is having now worked with other venture capitalists, a lot of like you know, prestigious sort of uh, industry venture capitalist is that they're not getting this deal flow. And that's just a systematic situation that we've been in and kind of put ourselves in over time. So I'm really excited to launch this fund, not only because we're doubling down on women, but we're investing in game-changing companies. So it's a $20 million fund. Our LP is a woman, which is awesome. We're founded, we're funded by one single LP. Her name's Jenny Just. She's one of the only self-made female billionaires um, in the United States. She's amazing. And we really are on a mission to, you know, find the next generation of entrepreneurs that are going to be disrupting industries, but also give them mentorship. I like to say it's money meets mentorship in that way. So with Create and Cultivate, there was conversation and community. And now the next evolution of my career will be in capital. I feel like it really is a natural transition for you, though, because I feel like what Create and Cultivate did for women was make them feel like there were other women there, like people they could look up to, people who they could lean on just like you know, horizontally as well. And I think that it's it's just such a natural transition. Like it it's just great. Feels yeah. Like it. yeah. It's exciting. I mean, I I'm genuinely I love the growth phase of businesses. It's mm. like where I really thrive. And so being able to have my hand in a ton of different businesses and obviously have equity in those companies is is really exciting. Yeah, that's I mean, it's awesome. So if someone is looking to raise money, what's a quick tip you can give them? Yeah, I mean, don't be afraid to reach out to VCs. I always joke like my DMs are filled with a bunch of dudes always pitching me their businesses and there's like no women in there. It's really? wild. Yes, it's wild. I'm like also like look at my website. I invest in female founded or female led companies. 
that being said, I think there is a lack of confidence on the on the women's side. So don't be afraid to slide into DMs. But also you have to have your ducks in a row, right? Like you need to have your deck dialed. You need to have your concept ready to go. You need to make sure that the VC that you're going to reach out to invest in your stage of that business. Are mm. you early stage? Are you pre-revenue? Whatever it might be. I always look for uh, people who are either disrupting an existing industry or creating something entirely new. That's what gets me really excited. And then also really the founder, like the passion of the founder, why they're building the business, who's on their team, who are they surrounding themselves with, and how do they see this, for me, being a profitable or growing or thriving business. I think that's really important because I think a lot of times I've seen a ton of pitches actually recently that are you know, sort of what we talked about. They're doing a ton in revenue, which is incredible, but they're spending a ton in marketing. And that's just not sustainable for the long run. You have to build a brand first and then you can market that brand. But if you have nothing but those dollars and those conversions and low retention, you can't really build on that. Yeah. Retention is insanely important. Mm -hmm. And I feel like people don't talk about it enough, but like just to call it out, it's so much easier just even from like a business standpoint, it's easier to keep the customers you already have than try and acquire new ones. It's more expensive Mm -hmm. and it's just a lot more effort. Yeah, absolutely. So people should take that away. You juggle so much. Can you share any productivity tips that you have? Yeah. I mean, oh gosh, I I feel like I'm a note-taking psycho. Like I genuinely like pen to paper, write everything down. I also use the notes app a lot on my iPhone, obviously, like when I'm out and about trying to remember things that I need to be doing. I'm also an inbox zero person, which is like people either are or aren't. And like it works for some people, it doesn't work for others. But I really need to get through my emails to feel like I got something done that day. I'm also really good at knowing when to prioritize urgent items versus non-urgent items. Like I can move really quickly on things and make make decisions quickly. And I think as a CEO and founder, you need to be able to do that. And that will like make you so much more productive in the long run. So smart. Jacqueline, this has been amazing. Tell everyone where they can find you. Yeah. So, I mean, I have a lot of different uh, handles going on, but it's at Create Cultivate at Work Party is our podcast at Jacqueline R. Johnson is me personally and at New Money Ventures Co. on Instagram. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. If you loved the episode and feel like it brought you value, don't forget to rate the show and leave a review. It takes five seconds and really helps the show grow so I can keep bringing on awesome guests. If you want to follow me behind the scenes, you can find me on Instagram at Sif And don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss a thing. I drop new episodes every Tuesday, so come hang with me and shoot the shit with some really smart people, learn and unlearn, and have a lot of fun. See you next week.